0: This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website, www.anchorchurch.com.au. Well, you would be forgiven for have woken up this week thinking, what is happening to the world when Kanye West releases Jesus is King and the best preacher we have right now happens to be Kanye, right? I, I, I spent yesterday listening to that album. I read the lyrics of every song. I was like, we could literally sing some of these songs at church. They're so profoundly true. Now, irrespective of what you think of Kanye, it's at least a nice change in direction in terms of lyrical content. First, it's Bieber. Now it's Kanye. Something's happening. I'm praying for revival, and um, I, I don't know. I don't know what is happening, but that album is profound. And so, you're going to get a lot of Kanye over the next couple of weeks of, uh, of this series. I don't know what your first job was. My first job was delivering newspapers around my house in West Pennant Hills, and um, it was a it was an interesting job. I, I was responsible. They would deliver. Um, newspapers in bundles of 50 taped together and I would have to fold them three ways put a plastic bag bag around it and then fill up my little basket on the front of my BMX and ride around the suburbs of West Pennant Hills and deliver these newspapers into people's letterboxes and um, I thought it was a great job to begin with I wasn't quite sure what the hourly rate for employment of a 13 year old was but I thought this was a good one and um, I very quickly became quite disenfranchised and dissatisfied with this work. It was hard work. I mean, I had a fair bit of territory to cover. It's not like the inner west where you can get like 3,000 residential homes in one block. This is, I'm talking suburbia. This is the Hills District. This is like big blocks of land. I had a lot of territory to cover and I got a lot of exercise on my BMX and I had this little trolley and I couldn't fill it all up. I had to go back and forth. It was hard work, heavy labor, exercise. It was also um, quite futile, because I knew that as I delivered that newspaper into people's letterboxes, for the most part, nearly every resident that I delivered that that, that newspaper to took it out along with their junk mail and just put it straight in the recycling. I'm like, what am I doing this for? This is pointless. No one even reads this newspaper. Why do I have to deliver it? And on top of that... It was demeaning. I thought $9 for 300 papers was a good deal until I broke it down to three cents a paper. And it took me about five or six hours to do it. And then I realized this was actually slave labor. I didn't even meet minimum wage. And it was entirely demeaning to the point that I began to cut some corners. And so I want to confess my first workplace sins to you guys today. And that is that after a while... I thought maybe not everyone would mind not getting a newspaper. I'm just going to take this to the bush at the bottom of my street and hoik it into the bush and leave it there. <laughs> there were bushfires there a couple of years ago. I was like, gosh, I'm really hoping those newspapers would decompose before that bushfire took off. But And, you know, it didn't really change for me. My next couple of jobs felt as fruitless and meaningless and demeaning as them. I, I, my my first actual proper job was stacking shelves at Kohl's. Um, and man, it was hard work. And we worked like when the store was closed and it was late or super early in the morning. And then I ended up working on a factory line, making boxes, just repeating the same task over and over again, fold, fold, clip, fold, fold, clip, over and over. And then eventually I got a good job in sports administration and Um, And finally got a job in the corporate world, working for an insurance company, doing glorified debt recovery. I would ring up people and say, hey, you crashed into our client's car. You owe us $75,000 because they were driving a BMW and that's how much it costs. Cough up or we're going to sue you. And I mean, you can imagine the conversation that happened on the other side of the phone, swearing, threats, I hate your insurance company, sue me, whatever you want. Like, literally, I got abused all day long. And the the worst part about it was, I knew that most insurance companies didn't make their money from debt recovery. They made their money from the millions and billions of dollars that they earned from the, the interest, from the money that sat in the bank account. I was like, this is pointless exercise. And perhaps you feel like that. Perhaps you feel like your work feels fruitless. Or perhaps it just feels monotonous. You do the same thing over and over and over again. You know, I think some of you might think about church work, about ministry. I mean, I think some of you think we, the staff, here just work Sundays. That's it. The rest of the week, we just have coffees with people and then we work one day a week. Um, or some of you have this like romantic view of ministry that it's so fulfilling and amazing. And honestly... There are moments even in ministry where I'm like, this is monotonous. I wrote this sermon this week using the same process for preparing every single sermon I write. The same thing every week, over and over again. And then I'm preaching this sermon going, I wonder if this will change anyone's life. I wonder if this will make any difference at all to anyone who's listening to what I say. And half the time, people, I can't even remember what I preached last week, let alone you guys remembering anything. And honestly, at times, even ministry feels, am I changing the world? Last week, Nado reminded us that work is good. That work prior to Genesis chapter 3 has both beauty about it and a deep sense of purpose. That God has called humanity to be culture, culture makers, cultivators of the earth, creators of good things. And yet, our experience of work just doesn't feel like that. Tomorrow morning, you may not feel like you are exercising your God-given intentions to create culture and shape and build the world and make a difference and bring blessing. And so how is it that we participate in our 90,000 hours, our 9 to 5, our Monday to Friday, whatever your working week looks like? How do we do that well, knowing that now we live outside of the Garden of Eden. We live after Genesis 3 in a world that is affected by the curse. Well, that's what we're going to look at this morning. And to do that, we're going to go back to Genesis chapter 3. So come back to me. Genesis. Come back with me. Genesis 3, verse 17. This is God speaking to creation, speaking to the snake, speaking to Adam and Eve, and telling them, here is the result of your rebellion and rejection of my good rule over this world, And he curses the the serpent, he curses the ground, and he says to Adam and Eve, this is what it's going to be like now to live outside of the Garden of Eden. He kicks them out, places cherubim with flaming swords in front of the Garden of Eden, and says, now this is what reality looks like. He says this to Adam in Genesis 3.17. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it. All the days of your life, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Now we know that the first blessing in Genesis, as Arnaldo reminded us last week, the first blessing in Genesis is the blessing of work. God says to Adam and Eve, he blesses them and he says, Be fruitful, multiply, increase, subdue the earth, rule over it, cultivate it, make culture and make the rest of the world like Eden. So we know that work is good, it's a blessing and it's part of God's good intention for creation, it's part of his order and yet we come here to Genesis 3 and we see a complete inversion or reversal of the first two chapters of Genesis and things begin to devolve and fracture and fall apart. Instead of blessing, we're introduced with curse. Instead of ruling the earth and subduing it, Adam and Eve experience frustration with the created order. Now, as Alana as reminded us last week, it's very important to remember that work is not a punishment for sin. Work is not the punishment that Adam and Eve receive as a result of their disobedience. Work is I think some of us think about Genesis 1 and 2 as if Adam and Eve were like in the Maldives, sitting on banana chairs, drinking cocktails and watching Netflix on their iPad and had nothing to worry about, no work to do. But that's not the picture that we get. Work was good. We are created in the image of a working God. Work is not the punishment for sin. The curse of Genesis 3 is not work itself, but Work is affected by Adam and Eve's sin because work is now frustrated. Thorns and thistles grow up. Work no longer yields the fruit that it should have outside of the blessing of God's um, created order. The yield, the produce of farming is not what it should be. There is conflict, there is strife. Work is hard. It's now called toil and labor. And it's painful. It's painful. You'll notice there that pain is introduced. It's part of the brokenness and the curse of sin. And sin, this this pain strikes at the core of our personhood, of our humanity, of our identity and at the core of what we are to do on this earth. You'll notice there that the two great tasks of humanity, love, marriage and work, are both now painful experiences because of the curse of sin. They are painful experiences. Eve's work of childbearing and motherhood is painful. Adam's work of farming and tilling the earth is painful and frustrated. Marriage is painful and filled with conflict and frustration. Now, yes, Adam and Eve are still fruitful. They still have babies. They still fill the earth. But it doesn't come without pain. Yes. Farming still produces produce and crops and food on the table, but it doesn't come without pain and toil and labor by the sweat of the brow. We experience now, in in 2019, we experience the ripple effects of both the beauty and purpose of work that God has given us in Genesis 1 and 2 and... The frustration and pain of work in Genesis chapter 3. We experience both of those things together. Because as we go about our work, we see that our work is fruitful. That it does produce things and it produces good things. And yet, there's also a sense of frustration about it. Frustration in, um, in the realm of like relationships and there are two sinful people working together. Frustration in the fact that our work never produces the fruit that we always hoped it would be. Frustration in the sense that we have the nagging reminder that perfection ought to be a part of this, but is never actually possible. We also work knowing that whilst there is produce and productivity, it doesn't come without pain. And so we have fruitfulness and frustration and we have productivity and pain and that is the part of our experience of working now outside of the Garden of Eden after the fall of Genesis chapter 3. Our world is filled now with both natural and moral evil. Our world is groaning in pain Humanity's relationship with each other is fractured and broken and evil is a part of our experience, including work. Corruption, injustice and inequality are there because humanity has chosen to reject God and reject his good purpose for us in work. The other thing we notice is that um, work very quickly takes on an idolatrous nature in genesis the ambition of humanity begins to morph and form and take on idolatrous ambition as we fast forward a few chapters through genesis we get to chapter 11 and we see the tower of babel i don't know if you've ever stopped to consider what it would have taken for people to manufacture and create a tower it creates archi- it requires architecture it re- requires a designer to design the building and then builders to begin to form bricks and bricks need to be constructed and Heated up in a fire, and all of that takes process of trial and elimination, and then, and then builders need to construct it. And there's an application of technology and construction, and uh, a sense of unity of working together. It's, it's phenomenal what takes place in the context of work in Genesis chapter 11. But all of that is done for the purpose of making a name for ourselves. That's the reason why they do it so that we will make a name for ourselves. The other reason they do it is because God had commanded Adam and Eve, fill the earth, multiply, and and subdue it. Take over the whole earth. And yet here in Genesis chapter 11, they're trying to build a tower up to the skies and build a city in order to prevent that from happening, lest we be scattered across the face of the earth. Humanity begins to view work with idolatrous ambition. And work becomes something that God never intended it to be. It becomes an idol. It becomes an idol. It becomes the thing that people use to shape their identity. And not only that, but our rest is also distorted by the the curse of the fall. For some, as work becomes an idol it morphs and manifests in workaholism and making work and your career, your idol and your dream and your fulfillment and your satisfaction. For others, rest becomes an idol and laziness and what the Proverbs call the sluggard, idleness, the dream of leisure, the dream of never being fruitful and productive and creating culture also is distorted by the curse of the fall. And then finally, work in its very nature is also changed by the curse. Because there is a new type of work that is required now after Genesis chapter 3. You see, before Genesis chapter 3, there was no death. There was no pain. There was no frustration. Sorry, there was no human death. There was still death as a concept. People didn't die. Humanity had access to the tree of life. There was no pain, there was no curse, there was no frustration. And, and yet after Genesis 3, all of a sudden, there is death and murder and strife and conflict and frustration, and a whole new nature of work begins to emerge. The type of work that has to undo the effects of the fall and deal with the breakdown of humanity and the breakdown of relationship industries like correctional services industries of medical and healthcare that would bring healing and minimize pain, all of those things now exist because of Genesis chapter three. The curse of the fall has affected and infected every part of our working sphere of life and existence. And the chances are I'm preaching to the choir. You're like, I get it. I get, I go to work. And I rub shoulders with people who are profoundly greedy and selfish and insular. And, and there's frustration. We have grand dreams of making our city a better place. And there's red tape and bureaucracy and corruption. And I'm trying to save lives. And for every life I save, there's a whole bunch of other lives that we can't. Work as we know it is hard and painful and frustrating and yet, is sometimes productive and fruitful and enjoyable, and that's part of what it looks like to live and work outside of Genesis chapter three and outside of the Garden of Eden. Work is affected by the curse of the fall, but work, uh, and so that's kind of like the beauty of work. You know, Al Nada introduced us to that concept of the beauty of work last week. This, this, this idea that god has called us to be culture makers who would cultivate the earth that is affected by the curse of the fall the second thing that's affected is the purpose of work that work often feels like it's pointless fruitless and monotonous and our world knows that particularly as it seeks to uh, address uh, an emerging and changing work industry and employees, because some of the vision and mission statements of our large global corporations are profoundly inspiring, are they not? Big grandiose vision and mission statements of changing the world, because that's what we need, right? We need to believe that we can change the world. We need to believe that the thing that we're doing for our whole life, all of those 90,000 hours is not meaningless and pointless and fruitless. We want to change the world. I mean, a generation ago or two generations ago, say your grandparents who grew up through the Great Depression, they were just happy that they had any job. It didn't matter if it was menial. It didn't matter if it was insignificant. It didn't matter if it was repetitive. It was a job and it gave money and it put food on the table because they grew up in a context where many people had no food, no money, no livelihood at all. So they were just happy they had a job. And then if, if you know, your parents are of the boomer generation, some of that shifted. But for the most part, they stayed in one career, one job their whole life. Our generation is completely different. Our average tenure is 3.3 years. We keep changing careers and jobs more frequently. The younger you are, the more frequently you change jobs. So Gen Z, Gen Y, 1.8 years. Change job, change career. Quite significant. The older you get, the longer you stay in your job. But we are yearning for a sense of significance and purpose about what we do. And so our corporations and our employees know that. And they sell us a vision of participating in that. And so Spotify, for example, has a vision of unlocking the potential of human creativity. Amazing. It's a music streaming device. They rob artists of like 45% of their, the two cents that it cost you to download their song, and Spotify took more than half of it. But yeah, we want to unlock the potential of human creativity. It's, it's inspiring, is it not? Or think about Dropbox, for example. Unleashing people's creative energy. It's online storage, people. I mean... Give me a break. It's what used to be in a filing cabinet, and now it just happens to be on some drive somewhere in Silicon Valley, and yet it's about unleashing people's creative energy. Or LG, you know, the um, consumer goods, you know, dishwashers and washing machines and TVs and electronic devices, their vision and mission statement is to spread the power of optimism. You want to be a part of that? You want to work at LG and spread the power of optimism I don't feel optimistic about my dishes or my laundry. Sometimes I feel optimistic about my television, but often not. We have this deep sense that we want to do something significant with our lives. We want to change the world. And all of these grand promises are offered us, and yet we turn up on Monday morning and we sniff a lie. Like, this just doesn't feel like what they said this would be. There's got to be something more to my work than this. My work often just feels like I'm doing the same thing over and over again. And, and who benefits from this? The CEOs? The, the shareholders? The, like. What's the point of this? Am I just working to make richer people richer? I'm doing the same thing. This feels like a treadmill. Perhaps this is your experience. If you're a, a worker who does not work at home, your alarm goes off at 6.30 a.m., you get up, you have a shower, you make some toast, you eat breakfast, running a little bit late, so you run to the 7.43 train, you jump on the train, you get to the city, you get out, you go to the same cafe, you order the same coffee order from the same barista, you get in the same lift to the same desk and do the same task, at 9 o'clock you start work, or perhaps if you're in a very competitive corporate thing, you've been there since 7.30 in the morning, beavering away, working at your desk, 12.30 you go out, you have lunch, catch up with a few friends, back to the desk by 1.30, finish at 5, or if you're in a crazy corporate context, 9.30 at night and you catch a company paid Uber home and, but you've got to be back there at 7.30 in the morning and, and you get the seven, the 5.37 train home and you get home and you begin to cook dinner and you have dinner and you do the dishes and you sit on the couch and you watch some Netflix, you go to bed and then 6.30 a.m. the alarm goes off and you get up, you make some toast, have a shower, eat breakfast, get on the 7.53 train, go to work, same coffee, same breakfast, same... Li- you're like, I just did this, I'm doing the same thing. And some of you even wear the same clothes on any given day of the week. Like, if you've got a Monday suit and a Tuesday suit and tie combo, and the, the, the ladies don't do that, right? Because they notice, right? It's just the guys. We think no one notices that I wore this same outfit three Sundays ago. And it's like, he wore that. I saw he wore that before. Perhaps you're a mum here and. Um, Your work isn't outside of the home. Your work is the home. And you don't have an alarm clock that goes off at 6.30 in the morning. You have this like little human that wakes up at some ungodly hour of the morning and shatters your dreams and then screams. And it's like, all right, feed, nappy, play. Feed, nappy, play. Uh, Frantically try and tidy the house. Lunchtime, bedtime, flop on the couch, completely exhausted entertain the thought of watching Netflix, but realize there's a whole heap of chores and housework to do, get up, do that, child wakes up, feed, nappy, play, afternoon tea, 3 p.m. hits, and it is crazy hour in the house, and uh, you are barely surviving, you cannot wait till your husband gets home, you're entertaining the thought of a glass of wine at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and wondering if anyone would judge you if they noticed that you did that, and then 5 o'clock comes, it's dinner, it's bedtime, it's bath time, it's Bible story, kids in bed, dishwasher done, flop on the couch and then at 4.30 the next morning that same little human biological alarm clock wakes up and you just do the same thing again day in, day out and sure the kids get older and you get older or perhaps you're a student here and you think well my life's so in- it's, it's so entertaining and it changes every day well, does it? I mean you still got to catch the same train on Monday morning to get to that uh, I mean fair- you woke up at 11am okay that's fair enough alright 11 o'clock you woke up and it was like, lecture, shoot, assignment, lecture, shoot, exam, semester finished, you had a six-week break, my goodness, that was amazing, and all of a sudden your routine was out the window and it was entertaining and fun, but you still had to work, and and then you came back for semester two and it was like, lecture, shoot, exam, lecture, shoot, assignment, And, and you did that for a couple of years, you know, three years if you did an ordinary degree and seven if you did some crazy triple degree that, I don't know why you guys do multiple degrees, but... And you get to the end of that treadmill, and guess what? You hop off that treadmill, and you hop on the other one called work. And at 6.30 a.m., your alarm goes off. Does anyone else feel like that? It's just around and around and around. I do the same thing over and over and over and over again. What's the point? Is there any significance to this? Is there any purpose in this? Is there any meaning in this? I mean, and the writer of Ecclesiastes, this philosopher speaks exactly to this deep sense of existential cry we have about our work. Is there any purpose? Is there any meaning in this? What's the point? Do we feel like we're changing the world? Do I feel like I'm raising a world changer? Or does it just feel like this is fruitless and pointless? Have a look at what the the philosopher of Ecclesiastes said. At the end of it all, what do we get from our labor? Chapter 2, verse 18. Verse 18. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun. And some of you are like, amen. I just found my new favorite Bible verse right there. (laughs) I hated all my toil in which I toiled under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun this also is vanity. It's a mist. It's a vapor. It's empty. It's intangible. The philosopher here laments what I think most of us dream and long for. He laments being in a position of great wealth and riches. He's made it. His career was successful. He's earned packets of money And he gets to the end, and his logical conclusion as he investigates where he locates his significance, purpose, and meaning is that even being filthy rich is pointless. Because I can't take it with me. I've got to give it to the next person, and who knows what they'll do with it. Maybe they'll steward it wisely and invest it and do more with it. Maybe they'll just squander it and spend it all. Who knows? What's the point? What's the point? If I can't take any of the fruit of my labor with me. The second thing that he laments there is the weariness of work. The tiresomeness of work. He, you, you'll notice there he describes work as toil and labor in verse 20. It's tiresome. It's hard work. It's the sweat of the brow. And you may work in an industry that requires manual labor, perhaps in a construction industry or some industry of uh, manufacturing that requires physical labor. But for the most part, most of us don't do physical labor anymore. And that's not beyond his experience because he talks about the physical strain and the mental strain. Verse 23, he talks about the striving of the heart. Sorry, verse 22. He talks about the stress of work that keeps you awake at night in verse 23. Can anyone identify with that experience? Worrying about a deadline? Lying awake at night wondering about whether or not your teammates will do what they said they would do? Lying awake at night worrying about what a boss or a manager thinks of you, will say to you? Or even lying awake at night worrying about not having any work or not having enough work to pay the bills? There is not only the physical strain and weariness of work, there's also the mental and emotional strain of it. It is taxing, it is wearying, and we experience the curse of the fall. And that's just Monday morning. We get it. That's what work feels like. Even for those of you who are in the best industries doing your dream job, you feel it. In fact, I've sat in gospel community across the room from people And everyone envies this person's job. they oh, I love your job. I can't believe you get to do that. And the person who's doing it doesn't like it. They hate it. And so we need to find some sense of purpose and meaning for our 90,000 hours. We need to find something that's going to get us through the dreariness and drudge of Monday morning to Friday afternoon. And where do we find it? Well, thankfully... Uh, Genesis 3 is not the end of the story. I mean, this is just part two of God's story, right? There's creation, there's fall. There's also restoration, redemption. There's a work that Jesus is coming to do. And so as we think about the curse and the, the fall and the effects of the curse on it, thankfully we have some good news that we find in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. And this is what it says. Galatians three thirteen. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law By becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Jesus is the one who became the curse for us to undo and reverse the effects of the curse on humanity and on this world. And his work has been initiated as he died on the cross and rose again. It's not complete. It's not finished. We know that Jesus will finish that work of complete reversal of the curse as he returns again and ushers in his kingdom. But yet now we can see the beginnings of this renewal work that Jesus does. And he rescues us from the curse of the fall in order to send us and be people who would bring a blessing back to a world that is broken and under the curse of sin. And so our work, and as we do that work, we can participate in whatever you're doing tomorrow morning. Whatever it is that you do, you can participate in being someone with a with, with deep sense of purpose and significance In being someone who brings blessing to a world that is marked by the scars of the fall, of the curse. That we get to bring blessing to that world. Now, some industries are easier to do that in, right? There are some industries that are just given to reversing the effects of the fall and to bringing blessing to this world than there are other industries, But I promise you, every single one of you as an individual in the way that you do your work can bring blessing, can be a part of God's solution of renewal to this world that is in such desperate need. But some of you are in industries that profoundly do that in really clear ways in almost every single day in every task you do. So how do, we, how do we do this? How can we be better workers? How can you go to work tomorrow and be a blessing and be a better worker and a better employee and bless those around you? We cannot do that until we locate ourselves in the story of God. We cannot do that until we understand the effects of Genesis chapter three on your nine to five. If we don't understand that, we will go to work believing that we are the ones who can bring blessing to the world without Jesus' help. Or we will go to work and make work carry a mantle and a significance that it was never meant to carry. We'll make it our God, we'll make it our idol, we'll make it our all, and we will locate our significance, purpose, and worth and meaning in work, which ultimately will lead us to frustration. The only way that we can go to work tomorrow morning and be a blessing to those around us is when we properly understand Genesis chapter 3. Knowing that means that we work within the tension of Genesis 3. We work with the tension of knowing that work is both fruitful and frustrating, both productive and painful. Without that worldview, work is our God, work is our idol, work is our all. Or we hate work so much that rest is our idol and rest is our God and rest is our all. The second thing is that it reminds us that work makes a mute idol and a false identity. To either make work ultimate or to loathe work, to turn those things into idols, is to fall off the cliff on either side. But to live in God's story and remind ourselves of Genesis chapter 3 helps us view our world and view our 90,000 hours and make a difference in that because we approach it in an entirely countercultural way. We are sent to bring blessing to a world that is under the curse of sin. And if we truly want to change the world, then we have to do that knowing that we are agents of God's renewal, of God's blessing to this world. The world's most famous preacher in 2019, Kanye West, says this in his song, "Cellar." They say week start on Monday but the strong start on Sunday. (laughs) Greach. They say week start on Monday, but the strong start on Sunday. This moment that you are in right now, the hour and a half, hour and forty five that you've given up to be here this morning, is so profoundly shaping the way that you view your Monday and your work that it helps us be better people it helps us bring the blessing of God to a world that so desperately needs it but when our identity and our purpose and our significance is tied up with our careers and our jobs it starts Monday morning it starts 9am as you clock on or perhaps tonight as you begin to delve into your emails or whatever it is right? But, but we know that the true work of formation and shaping us to be the people that God wants us to be begins here in the context of Christian community this is the recalibration that our hearts need to send us out tomorrow morning. This is the preparation that we need to be God's agents of renewal and blessing in the week ahead. And every single person here in this room who loves and follows Jesus has an opportunity to bring blessing to a world that experiences the scars of the curse. For some of you, you do that in an industry that is... So obvious, it's not funny. You get to reverse the effects of the, call almost, the fall almost every single day. And those are, are the people here this morning who are a part of healthcare, part of corrective services, part of any industry that keeps our culture and our neighborhoods safe. And so, this morning, as we're going to do every single Sunday, we want to commission. Uh, a sphere of influence, a sphere of people here on Sunday morning. And so I want to invite those of you who work in correctional services, the police force, doctors, nurses, healthcare professionals, mental health workers, paramedics, firefighters, allied health. And we also forgot to commission teachers here at 1045 last week, so I'm going to throw you guys in there as well. If that's you, can I invite you to stand up in your seat where you are, anyone who works on the front lines of that type of work, healthcare, healthcare, correctional services, any form of safety or anything that vaguely fits that category and all our teachers, early childhood, primary, high schools, um, tertiary education, anyone who's working in any of those industries. And we would love to pray for you and commission you that you would be a blessing tomorrow as you go to your workplace and do what God has called you to do and made you to do to bring the blessing of His presence and His goodness and His people to a world that so desperately needs it. So if that's you, stand up. Last opportunity if you're still sitting down. Good. All right. Well, if you're around someone who's standing up, would you just reach out and put a hand on them? And if you can't reach them, just stretch your hand out towards them. Let's lay hands on these guys and commission them for their work tomorrow. Father God, we thank you that um, there are people in this room who participate in very clear ways in reversing the effects of the fall, in bringing healing to people who are sick, in minimizing pain, in creating our our communities to make them safer places, in preventing harm, in minimizing the effects of the fall. We thank you for the teachers who are involved in educating and help people realize their potential that you've given them. Father God, we pray that you would commission and send every single one of these into their sphere of influence, their workplace. Tomorrow, help them to bring the blessing that only you can bring through them, using their gifts, using their humanity, using their words and their hands to bring blessing to a world that so desperately needs it. God, I wanna pray for every person here this morning who has wrestled with a sense of, work and significance and purpose God forgive us for the times that we have looked for meaning and significance in what we do instead of what you have done for us God we repent of the times that we have made work our ultimate aim our all our significance God we repent of the times that we have made rest and leisure our ultimate all Help us to be your agents of renewal, to participate in bringing blessing to a world that is affected by the curse. Send us, send our brothers and sisters, we pray, in Jesus' strong name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may.